You're listening to Criterion Creeps. I'm Jared Duncan. RJ Baylog. And this is another podcast that is foolish enough to tackle the Criterion Collection one movie at a time, targeting that spine, one vertebrae by vertebrae, in order of release. This is episode two, and that means spine number two, Seven Samurai. But first, RJ, how are tricks? How are tricks? I don't, I'm not really sure. I don't follow what you mean, but I'm just going to assume you mean how am I. So well, I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Oh, good. Uh, yeah, I, I like that expression, but it seems like it throws people off. Um, tricks is in it, reference to prostitution and turning tricks. So, well, I thought that's what you meant, and I was going to say an illusion, Michael. Tricks are what whores do for money, but <laughs> I wasn't really sure. So you threw me off, man. You did it. You stumped me. <laughs> I did it. <laughs> yeah. You finally did it. It only took one episode. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, here we are. We're here off, we are. Off to a great start. As always. Um, uh, no, I'm doing pretty good, man. Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Um, yeah. A little bit of housekeeping. Um, one one thing that's been bugging me since uh, our previous uh, episode when listening back while editing was uh, incorrectly referring to uh, the uh, Janus Directive as a uh, Teen Titans uh, storyline. That is not... Uh, the case whatsoever. Uh, no, the, the the Janice directive was actually a storyline from the uh, Suicide Squad from the late eighties. What I was thinking of when I was thinking New Teen Titans was uh, the Judas Contract. Yes, the Judas Contract or the Judas Coin. Very yeah. common DC comic threads. Yeah. But uh, and I hate to correct you again while you're correcting yourself, but we've been over this. It's pronounced Janus. Janus. Janus, so the Janus contract. Um, but yeah, well, it's good that you went back and did your diligence on that and yep. thumbs down to your, me. Your foolish mistake. Yeah, and believe me, there'll be more coming. Um, we we did get a little uh, listener feedback on our first oh, episode. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, apparently, one listener has said that they've never heard a podcast host tell potential listeners to fuck off ever. Um, in case you missed the first episode, uh, in where we stated our commitment to being friendly to all felines, uh, being mm-hmm. underscored that if you're not down with cats to fuck off, that's, mm-hmm. that, that was the gist, uh, of the, that reference, uh, from that listener. Yeah. Um, and I would definitely reiterate that now, uh, nothing, no, that stance hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, just to throw it out there too, we dig dogs as well. We are down with dogs. We are down with dogs, and we are part of the feline commandos. So we are friends of all furry creatures out there. And that includes your Uncle Rick, who is somewhat in between uh, man and moose. He's got a lot of fur in there. So, I mean, if you if your body is more than 80% hair or fur, you can hang out with us. That's, that's about fine. And our prayers go out to Uncle Rick. Uncle Rick, you're doing good, buddy. Hang in there. Yeah, uh, and another thing I realized uh, when going back and listening and editing um, that first episode is we never really plugged a website or any of that other shit that uh, social media guru types would tell you to do when you're doing a podcast, getting your uh, branding done and all that. Um, so yeah, well, I think that's because we wanted to get the product to speak for itself. Well, this this is initially, this is very and then true. once people get hooked. Then we can be like, all right, well, if you do like this, now here is a means to follow us in another way. 
You got to give them a taste first, Jared. I I know. <laughs> it's like, yeah. but I'm pretty sure like we didn't even mention like what we were doing with the podcast other than we're going to talk about Criterions, but like the, the whole idea of actually going through it uh, in numerical order. I don't know if that actually got brought up. That's something that was maybe in our heads and we knew we were doing it, but it didn't, you know, I don't know. I could be wrong on that. Again, I could be wrong. You, you well, you're not, you're not totally wrong. My mom did ask, but I took that as... Not that she, we didn't bring it up. She just didn't listen to the podcast that I sent her. So, yeah. which is pretty common. I give my mom a lot of the stuff that I have to offer, and it's usually just thrown in the toilet. So, uh, yeah. What what else is new? Yeah. Oh, geez. Um, I don't know. Uh, there, there's also came a moment this uh, past week where this moment of dread set in where it's like I realized that for the foreseeable future, you and I are committed now to watch one criterion movie every single week and to talk at least an hour about it every single week uh i never agreed to those terms i will watch the movies but uh i mean if i don't like them i'm i refuse to talk at length about an hour about it well Um, i I might give you my two cents but (laughs) if i don't like the movie that might it'll either be a five minute conversation or a five hour one so your parameters aren't firm all right then well that's kind of a bit of an out i guess for us yep. thank god thank god <clears throat> well um rj what have you been creeping on since we last spoke uh to be honest i haven't been creeping on that much movie wise but uh, i did dabble in some other mediums uh i just read the first five issues of jeff lemire's moon knight and yeah. uh i'm not too familiar with uh moon knight i know the character a little bit but uh my main man, Jeff Lemire, I'll follow him to hell and back. And uh, I thought the first five issues were great. Uh, there was even in issue five, a surprise two page appearance uh, from our boy, James Stoko. Oh, so yeah. uh, uh, I thought that was a really nice little treat. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that one uh, played out pretty good. There's not a lot of Marvel books I like, but uh, Jeff, Jeff, if anything was going to do it, it would be a Jeff Lemire written one. So. I liked that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I started a, a new book this week called Bird Box by Josh Mallerman. And it's a horror fantasy type of deal. I only just started, so I don't have a lot of details. But uh, I think it's going to be a good one. So maybe in the next episode, I'll be deep in there and I can give you a little bit more more on there, what's happening. So other than that, I don't really, I don't think I really watched anything. Uh, Not not quite. I uh, I watched that Predestination movie. Oh, yes. That was a little bit ago. Um, I watched that because a lot of trusted people told me that it would it was good and that I would like it. Uh, it was okay. Um, I thought it was... People will think I'm full of horseshit, but I thought it was kind of predictable. Um, not exactly what happens, but the basic idea of what happens, I think you can see coming within the first five or ten minutes right but i don't know maybe i'm just an asshole and i i missed that completely <laughs> no you definitely are an asshole well yeah 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 so that um that and oh i watched north by northwest yeah doing a little background research for uh future episodes getting a little hitchcock in there um that was all right uh it's not my favorite of his his things i'm not really sure why maybe it's because i've seen a lot of the, the good moments or scenes emulated and copied in very, countless other thing, movies or TV or 
what have you. Yeah, it's stuff that, like that. That seems like that's a movie that's really about like a like a handful of like really amazing set pieces. Yeah. Yeah. I find that's like when I first watched Casablanca, that was what it was for like, or that was what it was like for me as well. I thought uh, a lot of the scenes that should be like good that you would like, I've seen them done so many times in other things. It's like, I just don't really even care. It's like, (laughs) it's like I've seen this movie even though I haven't. So, right. Yeah. I just didn't find it super interesting, I guess, but no, North by Northwest was, it was all right. Yeah. Not top five for me. So, That's, what have you been creeping on? Oh well, uh, well of note, uh, I watched this uh, documentary called "I Am Thor" from 2015. I think it's on Netflix. If people mm-hmm. wanted to watch it, um, it is a documentary about the musician Thor. Um, it is. Uh, I loved it. I it's it's totally up my alley of kind of uh, delusional men who oh, yeah. uh i don't know they're they're giving her they're they're putting it all out there um yeah it's just like it starts like it's for, first of all like as a documentary i think it's a pretty amazing project because it's like the sense i got was that the uh guy whose name i will check on double right now uh this is great podcasting so this ryan isn't... wise okay so ryan wise so it seems like he started this project like 15 years ago like kind of not like this is he didn't just pick up and start this in the last year or so and then put together a bunch of stuff some archival footage it seems like he's been with uh john michael thor that's his full name um Mm -hmm. for for years and like he would kind of drop in and out uh depending on when he was on tour or not and then kind of do catch-ups over that previous year and he uses all this footage and it it works really well i've seen some music documentaries and like stuff like this where it doesn't it seems really hollow and superficial and a lot of stuff is skimmed over. And there's some aspects to that too, because obviously uh, a lot of the most important things in a person's life isn't necessarily always when the camera is running. So you, you get to find out about things after the fact, but mm-hmm. um, just like the, how comprehensive this guy's uh, the Thor character's career uh, is captured in this documentary is really good and uh i was really surprised because sometimes netflix documentaries are super light on uh mm-hmm. uh information and detail and plus the story is just like i don't know it's probably not to everyone's taste but for me it's just like i love like kind of i don't know weirdos Dudes with long hair <laughs> well he actually he's more like um oh what's it uh guy ferrari the Cook? Guy Fietti? Fietti or Guy Yeah, I I know it's not he, spelt Fietti, but yeah. that's how he says it. So. Yeah. Oh, so he, you you're a big fan of uh, Guy Fietti. Well, cuz you have a guy that looked like uh a Jack Kirby drawing of Thor with a mustache mm-hmm. who now looks like Guy. <laughs> Like the guy. Sounds awesome. <laughs> it's like that's what he looks like these days. But he yeah. still goes out there. Like he doesn't give a shit. He wears full body suits and masks to really cover up the fact that he is not what he used to be. There's this. Exactly. There's these these spots in the uh, documentary too where it's like um, he likes he's picked up um, like these like. Uh, total carny like sidekick dudes who kind of uh are like selling merch for him now and like one of the mm-hmm. things they sell on their website is so okay one of the things that thor is like probably more famous for kind of predating his musical career was like on the ed sullivan show or something sh- like that where he would like take a uh, uh one of those 
uh, hot water balloons or mm-hmm. like, and he would blow it up. Like he would like, he had the lung capacity in uh, whatever to fill it completely up to burst. And that like was a his single breath. Yeah. Or after several breaths and building up with like a mm. drum roll to it or whatever. Okay. And that was one of the things he would do. And like, plus playing these like cover songs of songs and jumping around in his underwear. Cause mm-hmm. he was like this bodybuilder and whatever. Yeah. He, he, had, the, he had the, he had the physique. And uh, so he now like, there's this bit where it's like him in his like living room signing uh hot water balloon things and he's just like running thing like Thor she blows <laughs> and and then they're like yeah and they're really like laughing about it and they're like really excited about these things and it's like holy crap <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, well it's, that sounds pretty cool yeah it, I, I might give that a watch yeah no I am Thor is pretty good uh mm-hmm. I would definitely recommend it to folk uh okay. and then on um I got turned on YouTube uh, for a couple things because I forgot that uh, Troma uh, has put up a bunch of their stuff on there for free to watch. I didn't Uh, know that, actually. Yeah, I kind of... I didn't know Boyd Kaufman was uh, in the business of giving his product away. I think the idea is, like, because they're not, like, restored or anything like that, but, I mean, I don't know how much you can do with some of this Troma stuff, but Mm -hmm. they've just thrown it up there because I think it's actually really good marketing because if you know people are just going to download your movies... um, you might as well make it so they're down, you're they're doing it from YouTube and you get advertising dollars for them right. to do that. And then yeah, if, and if someone actually likes it enough, they can just go and buy it. Um, yeah. Well, because this started when I watched uh, a 1998 documentary called Jeff Town, which I had never heard of. Um, and then a friend of mine uh, sent it my way because he mm-hmm. thought it might be in my wheelhouse. And I'll just read you uh, the uh, little synopsis uh, that goes along with it here on Letterboxd. Jeff Town is a 1998 documentary shot and directed by Daniel Krauss and distributed by Troma Entertainment. It chronicles the life of Jeff Town, a 40-year-old Iowa City resident who suffers from Down syndrome, obesity, alcoholism, and circulation problems. Town also enjoys pornography and lives with his 90-year-old uh, adoptive grandmother. So I read that, well, and I just <laughs> I was like, oh, well, I don't have a choice. I guess I do have to watch you now. That is your wheelhouse, that, as some people would describe it. Yeah, yeah, as some yeah. Uh, podcasts out there would say, that would be in my wheelhouse. Yeah. Anything with bad circulation, that's a JFD uh, original wheelhouse. Uh, 100%. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, so folks, uh, if you have any uh, poor circulation films uh, out there uh, that mm-hmm. I you think I might be interested in, please do mm-hmm. uh, recommend them to me. Um, yeah. yeah, so this uh, this documentary, I wouldn't recommend anyone really worth wouldn't. Don't watch it. It's just mm-hmm. not. It's pretty strange and like not a not. It's not a strong documentary work at all. Um, I think the uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't even really want to well, talk about it too much. Yeah, I think I think you've said your piece. I yeah. think we all know what Jeff Town has to offer. So. Uh, so there's that, and that led you into the trauma world. Yeah, so uh, the next thing I came across when I was kind of scanning through their YouTube page was uh, Class of Newcomb High from 1986. Uh-huh. And, and that is uh, uh, a Kaufman co-directed movie, uh, along with another guy named Richard Haynes. Um, mm-hmm. I So my history of trauma is basically... Most of them aren't very great or very good even. Like, I think Toxic Avenger was all right if you can get over, Mm -hmm. like, some obvious bad filmmaking stuff. But Mm -hmm. and everything else I've seen of Troma is pretty terrible. Um, I mean, it's like, what a shock, right? These Troma movies aren't very good. But they're, like, particularly just bad. And I really don't get, like, fandom that surrounds it. Um, 
Yeah, I don't really, I've never understood that either because I, other than Toxic Avenger, I don't think I've seen any trauma films. Yeah. And like, I always kind of, the few brief appearances I've seen of Lloyd Kaufman, he's all about like the dick, fart, and throw up jokes, which don't get me wrong, I love <laughs> dick and fart jokes, but like he, he's the kind of guy where it's like, if like you said butt, he'd be like, <laughs> no. I love butts. He's like, like slapping butts and but. <laughs> Like, you know, I like laughing at butts, too, but he would laugh and then, like, say why he thinks it's funny, and then he'd say something inappropriate about it. Yeah. So, like, I always took it as, like, that's what trauma movies were, and I was like, "Eh, I'll I'll watch it one day, but I have no desire to get out there today and get them all. Yeah, I remember, um, I think, uh, based on, like, a Cinemassacre recommendation, I think I did buy a copy of Lloyd Kaufman's book. Um, how to, I'm making a movie or something like that. And I think yeah. I read like half of it and it, it was mm-hmm. like nothing you couldn't probably figure out on your own. If you've spent yeah. any amount of time making movies, it's like, yeah, you should just do mm-hmm. things that you can make and use people that, you know, it's like, yeah, those are all really obvious things you should do. Yeah. That, so I don't know. I, yeah. I think that cinema, cinemassacre rep, uh, recommendation came from uh, Mike and maybe not James himself. I find they have a very similar style of humor. So I think that's where uh, maybe you got led down that route. And that's actually where I saw Lloyd Kaufman. He was on one of their episodes like yeah. two years ago. I think they are playing the Toxic Avenger uh, NES game. He had fun, it seemed. It seemed like Lloyd Kaufman's down with the video games. He's hip with the kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Playing a Nintendo Entertainment System in like 2013. <laughs> Um, so I guess that, all that being said, Class of Newcomb High works really well. I like that movie a lot. It's funny. Mm. It's gross, crass, and stupid. And it seems like all the things I don't like about Troma, usually because things fall flat, it seems like all the stars aligned on that particular production. And mm-hmm. it's like I would uh, definitely tell people to if they want to try out Troma stuff to watch it. I think generally, I think when I was looking through, people all seem to like this movie. They they. Like I said, it's like trashy mute. What's the plot of this movie? So uh, there's a nuclear power plant. It had a leak. Um, it went into the into the environment around it. Uh, there's a high school right next door, mm-hmm. and uh, some of this uh, nuclear radiation has gotten into the marijuana supply that's being grown behind mm-hmm. the this fence at the nuclear power plant, and that that grass is getting sold to the the uh, former uh, yuppie kids, but who are now mm-hmm. all turned into giant mutant kids. And are uh, slowly like introducing this marijuana that's radioactive into other into the rest of the high school, and so eighties mm-hmm. uh, hijinks ensues with sort of this like backdrop of horror and like trauma uh, tastelessness, and it's just yeah, it's yep. pretty good. I liked it, and that was it, yeah. It sounds like it, uh, a mix between Reefer Madness, Spider Man Three. And uh, what's that movie where, like, Jodie Foster goes to teach, like, uh, at-risk youths? Uh, do you know that movie? I like, Dangerous that, Minds or something that, like that? That, that, uh, that would be Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, so Jodie Pfeiffer. Yeah. Uh, it's, is it Dangerous Minds? That is, there's a movie is that what it's called? That, that is a movie with Michelle Pfeiffer that has that type of idea. Um, so is that what Newcomb High is? It's Dangerous Minds meets Reefer Madness meets <laughs> Spider-Man 3? Well, there's, no, there, there's, there's definitely no there's no teacher. To, there's no aspiring teacher figure. That That's definitely not in the movie. It's more like in the mm-hmm. line of like uh, the raucous 80s like, high, like teen movie, but with like wacky so, horror stuff. 
the John Lovitz uh, spoof on Dangerous Minds? Is that what it's more like? Do you know that movie where he like <laughs> goes to teach classes, but he's got an afro and he uses a flowy and stuff? Yeah, I'll have to, you, I'm gonna have to. Plead, I, I'm, I'm gonna have to plead the fifth on that one because I have not seen that movie. I know what movie you're talking about, though. Is it like High School High? Is that uh, High School High? Is yeah. absolutely what it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so that is a classic. We will be covering that. I'm pretty sure it's Criterion 6. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that is a classic movie. It's directed by Hart Bochner. <laughs> and uh, he did two other movies that no one else cares about. So Bochner. <laughs> Bochner. That's that, I guess. That sounds about right. Um, yeah, so class of Newcomb High. If you love John Lovitz and uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, that one's for you. Outstanding. Um yeah, uh, so yeah, that's probably all I'll mention for movies that I watch. I'm always watching movies, but I'll try to bring up stuff that, I don't know, is worth someone's time. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, any news tidbits you'd like to share with listeners? Uh, yeah, I got a few things, actually. I'm, I'm going to lead off with a, a rare uh, case of news here that is relevant to the current episode. Oh, man. Uh, so as we'll discuss later... Uh, the movie we're going to review tonight led to uh, pretty much the last 60 years have been movies that clone a certain component or other movies that basically just copy it completely, like The Magnificent Seven. Yep. Uh, Magnificent Seven, A Bug's Life, uh, Dark Tower 5 by Stephen King. Um, but anyways, uh, I heard that Anton Fuquoy. Uh, who just made a remake of The Magnificent Seven, yep. is up for, he's going to do a remake of Scarface. And uh, I don't know how you feel about this, but uh, I, I saw a preview for that Magnificent Seven he made. Uh, I couldn't be less interested. And uh, it doesn't matter that it's him. A remake of Scarface just sounds completely uninteresting to me. Um, it, it's up there. Scarface is up there with Fight Club for me, where it's, Movies I used to like that were completely ruined by oversaturation through internet and Spencer's gift shop toys of Scarface posters. and Fight Club <laughs> posters and stuff like that. So yeah. uh, that's one thing I totally uninterested in. I don't know how you feel about that. Well, so yeah, you uh, jumped right ahead to the uh, probably the end of uh, our Seven Samurai uh, discussion because oh, I, I had lined up uh, wanting to talk about that on Antoine Fuquoy, as you called him, uh, yeah. remake. Is that not his name? Of Magnificent Seven. Uh, Fuqua? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> don't come to our show for proper pronunciations of words. Uh, uh, I More than 100% of the time, I will purposely pronounce it wrong because there will be one in five times where I actually don't know how to say someone's name. Yeah. So if I'm consistent the whole time and I don't say anyone's names right, then I can never get blamed for blatant mispronunciation of somebody's name um but yeah so i, I beat you to the jump i guess we yeah. can save that for later still oh, well, no, i have other news we can cover well, we can just talk about it now who cares yeah um so yeah so for people this movie's not actually out yet at this time uh it stars denzel washington chris pratt ethan hawk mm -hmm. vincent d'onofrio uh some other folk and mm -hmm. uh yeah i watched the trailer uh, and it looks very generic, very yep. stock uh, for yep. Hollywood movies that are, are trying to do Westerns. Mm -hmm. I think that the problem, uh, and I found a nice $10 word uh, to describe it. There's an incongruity to Ooh. how, um, like kind of what Western should look like and how modern action mm -hmm. movies are shot. And so 
they're trying to force how movies are being shot now and place them on westerns and yeah. it just it doesn't make the movies feel um like the time and place yeah it doesn't have the right look i mean mm-hmm. it, there's i'm not sure what could be possibly like i'm not sure if it's mm-hmm. a different type of cameras being used or just like lighting techniques i think um, it's i think it's a mix of a lot of things like that like i i can't remember who it was but i saw somebody comment on like the framing of the trailer like there was a scene where the big bad who's like peter sarsgaard or something and he's like in the town and he just shot somebody but there's a clutter of people all around him, like very like jumbled around and it, it totally pulls you away from what you should be kind of focusing on, which is like him, like a lone gunman type of deal. Yeah. So like maybe, maybe that's part of it too, is like the reason those movies were is like look as good as they do is because they kind of, they use like sparse use of things. I don't know. Yeah. I We'll see, I guess. Yeah. We'll see. But, well, cause yeah, I, I'm not. I say you think of like, um, like, and think of like any of the westerns shot in the last like 15, 20 years, and usually they they all look just like not very good. Because even like something I really did like was Bone Tomahawk. Um, oh yeah, but, but that rules. Yeah, but that movie's like the cinematography and look at that movie's really flat and like kind mm-hmm. of decent. Like it looks it looks great to me, and mm-hmm. like I just was like kind of like oh this movie's just like I don't know it it, it kind of makes the movie feel a lot slower than it maybe was but in my memory i'm like i remember that first hour being like really draggy and like i think mm-hmm. most of it came down to like how it was shot and right. it just seemed like yeah like just lots of um uh i don't know i uh no i know what you mean another uh new western that came out like a year or two ago was that slow west with your buddy michael fassbender yeah uh that movie like towed the line there like there were sometimes some shots looked really good and then other shots were just kind of like blatant ripoffs where I could see them being like, oh, it's a homage to these Westerns. But if you have someone watching it who's seen a couple of those, like I'm not even, I, I can't say that I'm even a well-versed Westerner, yep. but I've seen a good bit. And like, so when I saw shots like that, it's kind of just like, well, you're just kind of cheating. You're taking good things that you've seen and you're just recycling it like you're not improv or improving or innovating on on it at all you're just stealing it but that movie has other problems too which don't need to be discussed so yes it's it's how westerns are now some of them i I, yeah i'm not sure if it's like if i'm shortchanging like cinematographers who are working on these movies because it just seems like a lot of the times these movies look it doesn't matter if they're shot like in an open field or in a like old shack that wouldn't have uh, mm-hmm. like electricity there's being these movies are being shot the same way that if it was a scene shot in an office building or a warehouse it just like mm-hmm. they're just the same and there's no differentiation yeah. and i mean mm-hmm. maybe, maybe that was something that was like always the case but somehow um like uh film stock itself like just really like brought up colors when you're like doing yep. westerns where there's like blue skies and like mm-hmm. your yellow dirt red mount hills and stuff like that and so um uh, yeah, it could be. Could be something as simple as that, but could I don't be. know. I watching that trailer uh, for the remake of Magnificent Seven, it left me non plushed. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't care. I'm not, I'm probably not going to see it at any point mm-hmm. unless it's on like on Netflix, and I have nothing else better to watch, which I really don't see that being the case. Yep, at all. Kind of what I thought too. Yeah. And um, anyways, it's if it's anything like Magnificent Seven, it's just a less good version of what we watched for this episode. That's so. right. Um, 
my my only real news tidbit I want to throw out, actually I have two but uh, mm-hmm. the first one I'll throw out there is uh, uh, Hugh Jackman I saw was popped up in my uh, Facebook oh. trend uh, little box in the top oh right hand corner um, yeah and there, apparently he had posted some photo of himself on Instagram and mm-hmm. people were very confused and concerned of how old Hugh Jackman appeared. Um, well, he's well, he's filming Old Man Logan right now. That's well, why. Th- that was the, there was jokes about oh no, he's Old Man Logan. But yeah. I'm like, well, you know, he's forty seven years old, and mm-hmm. uh, people get older, um, mm-hmm. and people should I leave s- Hugh Jacked Man alone. Hugh Jacked Man can do whatever he goddamn well feels like. I saw these pictures. Uh, yeah, he's pretty gray and uh, he's a little wrinkly up top. Yep. But have you seen that guy with his shirt off? Not even six months ago the mm-hmm. dude is still a fucking beast like yeah. i don't know i'm pretty sure if him and the rock got put in a ring together they wouldn't even fight but their bodies would like combust into each other and then like mel young mel gibson would walk out or something like that <laughs> that's how tough these guys are Whoa. like yeah i'm going there so yeah. i saw the picture um i think people need a. Uh, Need some more hobbies to instead of getting worried about Hugh Jackman. He's fine, man. He's like sexiest man alive in my books. Six yeah. years running, so maybe ten. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if there'll ever come a day where people aren't concerned about famous people's like diminishing looks and the ravages yeah. of time. I don't know if that day is ever going to go away. It's always going to mm-hmm. be a thing. Um, yeah. So that that was my one uh, tidbit I thought I would just uh, throw out there following up on the, the Jacked Man discussion yeah. from last well, week. Well, I appreciate it. Any bit of huge Jacked Man news mm-hmm. I can get, I'm going to gobble it up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you have any other news tidbits? Uh, I have one little one. Yeah. Uh, apparently, uh, what they, they've been working on this for about a year and a half, uh, but now it is they're not going to. There was going to be a Friday the 13th TV show. Uh, they've been working on it for a long time and I believe the guy who wrote Prisoners, that Dennis Villeneuve movie, yep. uh, he wrote the pilot for it and uh, uh-huh. they they filmed it and they apparently the exec said it was very good but it had no longevity to it. They can't make a TV show out of it which I think is what people were probably saying when it started but yeah. I mean there's what like 13 of those fucking movies so you could make a TV show in the same amount of time but um yeah so that's canceled uh i remember when they announced it they said it was gonna be like twin peaks meets something else because everything's got to be something meets something yeah but uh i heard that and i wasn't totally surprised uh if it ever did come out i would have imagined it would have got canceled anyways so is this news to you do you care what what is your opinion on uh, the friday (sighs) the 13th canceled tv show I don't care. Um, I guess like the yep. only my only thoughts on it really are that like we had two slasher shows that have come out in the last year or so, and I don't think yep. anyone cared. Like there was a Scream show, and then there was like a show called Slasher, and okay. I, th- I think and they both came there out. There was even more. Yeah, there was that Scream Queens show too. And oh man, I think that's a slasher show as well. Oh my god! So they did. They already did it twice. I mean, I guess like yeah. Friday the Thirteenth got some cachet. There hasn't been a movie mm-hmm. for a while, other than that last remake. And Ooh. I, I don't know. I guess people like I don't know. It's familiar. <laughs> it's it's a familiar thing. So it makes mm-hmm. sense. Like they they should they'll always dig this stuff up. Um, people just like Jason stuff. Um, mm-hmm. it'd be it'd be really nice if they actually made a good movie with that stuff or a good tv show but i think like yeah the whole idea that like 
taking the story of a Friday the 13th and like doing like any amount of episodes, it's like, that's really tough to do because if you think mm-hmm. about like, well, when do you introduce Jason? Like if you'd go yep. eight episodes without Jason and like how slowly Jason would be killing people, it'd be pretty frustrating, I think for uh, viewers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. I just, who cares? <laughs> yeah. So I was never really interested mm-hmm. in either that actually, you reminded me they, so they announced that the show was canceled, but they did announce that they are still in active development of a new movie which apparently will focus on the origins of Jason which doesn't really make a lot of sense because you everybody knows that it mm-hmm. happened in the first goddamn movie so yeah i don't know how how many ways you can show a, a deformed little kid drowning but i guess they're going to try it again uh yeah so. origins that's the yep. that's the go to yep you know, nothing else you can do with these intellectual properties <laughs> i guess yeah. but Start o- start it again, yeah. Jim. From the be- in, in the beginning, because they did have Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, oh, they've done it with everything. Yeah, man. that's a, that's always what they do. It's always yeah. origins. It's like, yeah, no one cares. Mm-hmm. And they cares. Sh- and they shouldn't care. But uh, the the right the right people who actually make those decisions think people do. And mm-hmm. uh, so that's silly. It's silly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's it. Um, that's it. Oh, one last little thing. Uh, this is actually Criterion-related news. Um, oh, dear. I, I saw the other day that uh, Paul Pope, the uh, mm-hmm. illustrator cartoonist guy, um, he t- uh, tweeted out, laying down spot colors on arterial blood splatter, best part of the job, at Criterion, hashtag lone wolf. Yeah. So So is he make uh he doing some covers? He no. He well yeah, I mean he's doing the I assume the packaging for the uh inevitable kind of rumored Lone Wolf and Cub, Cub? uh ah. ser- film series which uh mm. which I think people kind of figured was happening cuz when they put out the uh, Lady Snowblood last year, um that's kind of the same studio and same package that Lone Wolf and Cub was part of with I think anime any anime ego or something like that had put out way back when and those are long out of print um and now well Criterion's going to do the definitive job on it I think so mm-hmm. that is something to celebrate and uh, fits right in with Samurai's Japan and Criterion's which Got ties it. directly back yeah. into what we'll be discussing here God damn that's topical God. that's good radio right there Jared that, yeah that is uh perfect um that's perfect well after the break, then, we're going to be discussing Spine Number 2, Seven Samurai from 1954. See you guys. 
難関の小さな村に侍の墓が4つ並んだ野心と巧妙に疲れた狂気の時代に全く名利を顧みず哀れな百姓たちのために戦った7人の侍の話彼らは無名のまま風のように去ったしかし彼らの優しい心と勇ましい行為は今なお美しく語り伝えられている彼らこそ侍だ黒沢明が描く壮烈な女子史彼らはこの旗のもとに戦ったそういうわけだこれこれは田んぼの田の字つまり百姓たちこの村だなこの丸は俺たちだ7人の侍の中の変わり種のそだちの暴れん坊遅い来るは信し戦国の生んだ大老の群れ。最後の決戦の日は雨だった。これは十三。これは全部フライレン。この前を通り過ぎると同時に追い打ちをかけて村の辻で挟めした。勝負はこの一撃で決まる。And we're back to discuss Seven Samurai, 1954, Akira Kurosawa. RJ. Yo. How many Kurosawa movies have you seen?、Uh, my total count is now up to two. Uh, which is pretty embarrassing. <laughs> that, I know. That's way less than I thought you were going to say, but yeah, okay. 
Yeah, yeah uh, that's super embarrassing, and uh, that's going to have listeners questioning my integrity. But I mean, that's it's probably good because now that when we cover other Kurosawa movies, it'll be a a genuine first react or response to what they are. But uh, I have previously seen Seven Samurai, and I have also seen uh, Rashomon. So okay, that's it. So you've, that's you've, it, man. You've seen, you've seen the big two. The big two, yeah. But uh, no Yojimbos, no uh, Akiru, uh, no High and Low. Oh, I haven't man. seen them. They're on my list. I know about them. I just haven't yeah, actually watched well, them. Well, they're def- they're definitely on the list now because I I'm pretty sure that like everything they're, that is yeah. Kurosawa in North America is probably out from Criterion, Criterion. or was at one point. Yep. Cuz something like yep. something like Ran is another one of those uh victims of that Studio mm-hmm. Canal deal falling through uh, uh 6 years okay. ago. So that yeah. like so that that is available on Blu-ray from them. And I think the picture's good on that case. Anyways, um so let's do a little, let's talk about Seven Samurai. Um, All right. So plot wise, um, it is 1586, um, olden times, uh, during something called the Warring States period. Um, the movie picks up with some bandits that come upon a village and mark it as a future raid site after harvest. Uh, one villager happens to overhear this plan and runs back into the village to warn everyone that this is going to happen. And basically we get the sense that this is not the first time it's happened, that it's happened many times before. And this is, they're afraid that if this happens, either they're sick that of sick of it happening or that if this happens again, like they're really like in tough times because they're, they have mm-hmm. no food as is they're poor and they're, they're sick of it. They've had enough, and they're not going to take it anymore, RJ. Um, I know. So they they, uh, death wish this bad boy. Yeah, basically. Um, So after they consult with the village elder, who basically says, you got to go get some samurais, um, Mm -hmm. they go do that. One of the problems, of course, is being uh, poor peasants is they have no money. So all they really have to offer uh, a warrior would be, uh, a roof and some food and so that's that means you're going to be looking for some either uh principled uh ronin types or some desperate ronin types mm-hmm. um so that that's basically your first uh act if you want to call it that second act uh basically we spend the next hour at a nearby town if you want to call it mm-hmm. that uh, and we get to see the the team basically get assembled one by one um the first guy who gets brought in is uh, Hanbei, um, and he's your grizzled old veteran character, and he's kind of going to be the uh, the guy who's going to be able to probably get more and more people uh, brought in. There's mm-hmm. sort of our young romantic lead, uh, Kachishiro. Um, the disciple. Yeah, yeah. He's really impressed with uh, Hanbei's mm-hmm. uh, mad skills, and he wants mm-hmm. to basically uh, be his uh, understudy, his apprentice. Um, and then... Uh, an old friend of Hanbei's, uh, uh, Shichi Roji. Uh, he's, uh, I think the only thing I really remember about him is he's quite, uh, he's a smiling, happy guy. Uh, and then yeah. there's also Gorobai, who, you know, when you Google search these guys, they basically look the same. <laughs> like Jared. <laughs> no, they do because they all have uh, that top knot up top. And, yeah. Uh, two of them look pretty close. The only, the only ones that really stand out are the, uh, the standout characters basically yeah which you'll get to well so then one of the other guys they bring up is uh Hihachi. uh mm-hmm. he, he's going to be the first to get it um I, the good old boy is how i described him yeah the good old boy um the good old boy. 
Yeah. And then and then there's uh there's uh Kyozo. He's basically the the snake eyes of the group. He's like the the badass with the, the all stoic the stoic samurai. Yeah, yeah. He's kind of like probably a lot of people's favorite dude because mm-hmm. he like just like I'm oh, I'm gonna go get something and he does it and he kills Poke. Um, and then there's the kind of the the final character who rounds it up the the De Niro to Kurosawa Scorsese uh, Toshiro yeah. Mifune as uh, uh, Kikuchi Chiwa Chio. Um, he yeah uh, Mifune the buffoon he, the buffoon he gets the Kabuki theater style up the joint with some patented hammery and classic Japanese guttural deliverance of his lines. Ah, yeah. Um, yeah, so they get all together. Mm-hmm. Um, the the third act of the film. Uh, this is kind of my own breakdown system of the movie. It's yeah. basically them coming to the village and adapting to life in the village while also preparing for battle and laying out the battle lines. Um, so that's basically like right in the middle of the movie. It's about like an hour of the runtime. Uh, we get mm-hmm. the we get the romantic story with Katsushiro and one of the uh, uh, farmer's uh, daughters. Um, the village fox. Yeah. Um, yeah. and basically, yeah, like we learn things like farmers are afraid of everything and like super suspicious. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just like anybody else they're kind of in it for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the samurai have to kind of come to adapt to the, that mindset and to also get everyone to work together. Otherwise they're not going to be successful in fending off these, uh, bandits that are going to be coming as soon as that harvest is good to go. And oh, the harvest is ready to come. So it's time. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, yeah, you're it's reaping you're, time. Yeah, yeah. In the fourth act, you get the uh, battles, you get the skirmishes, um, mm-hmm. and it all kind of keeps building from there. Death, uh, you get circles getting crossed off of uh, parchment, mm-hmm. and yeah, it, it all builds to a rainy, muddy conclusion. There's love, there's death, a lot of death, and hard lessons are learned. Mm-hmm. So, RJ, yes, what did you think of Seven Samurai? Uh, well, to be quite blunt, this movie is a ripoff of The Matrix. Um, no, I'm just kidding. This movie is absolutely amazing. Uh, it's got crazy, innovative, beautiful shots. Uh, it started, the plot line to this movie has been copied and pilfered or picked apart by so many movies in the last 60 years. Uh, the Seven Samurai, all the character archetypes, like, I'm sure there were things before that, but all of those character archetypes get recycled again in countless movies and then the years to come. Uh, it had it all, man. Like you said, it's got suspense, it's got romance, it's got action, it's got humor. Uh, it's sad. You you see some real pain come through these characters. Uh, I don't know. Um, it's it gets it's on a lot of lists for this and sometimes there are movies on these best of lists that i don't necessarily deserve their spot there but this is absolutely probably one of the best movies ever made i think like i don't know what do you think about this thing i got other like tidbits too but we can sprinkle them in um yeah so I hadn't watched Seven Samurai probably like when it, last week when we were talking about uh, getting stuff out from the library, uh, being mm-hmm. a student with without a job, um, and I watched it years ago. I think actually um, a, uh, my friend Corey and I rented this and a few other like uh, Janus style films. Um, oh, Janus! <laughs> Janus! Yeah, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
we watched like about 12 or not 12 movies in one day, but we went over like a period of time. We watched a whole bunch of them in seven Samurai was probably plopped right in the middle of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it might not be news to some people, but seven Samurai is really long. It, it I cl- think it clocks in at three twenty seven. Yep. Yep. Three yep. hours and 27 minutes. The first essay in the uh, criterion collection uh, booklet for this is an essay about time <laughs> from Kenneth oh, Turin fitting. and it talks about the the film's runtime and how uh, I guess when the film was getting floated to American distributors uh, uh, I guess it's Toho uh, they they cut 50 minutes out of it like right off the bat because they just Horseshit. they just they knew or they figured Americans just would not mm-hmm. be able to handle it it's same thing that happened to Batman v Superman yeah it's total horseshit like if you cut out 50 minutes of this this film it would be a tragedy yeah. because every scene is important and everything has a purpose. Like, yeah, I don't know. So, okay. I watched it way back when, and yeah. I remember liking it. And then, mm-hmm. but I've under like, I don't know, over the years, I've never really had any real need to watch it again. Right. It's just like when, when I think about it, it's like, Oh yeah. Seven Samurai. That movie was like four hours long in my mind. <laughs> um, yeah. and so I think I've had like, uh, hand-me-down DVDs of it come my way where I had mm-hmm. like uh, the first edition come to me and then I got the like current version but the DVD of it given to yep. me and then I've like gifted those away or sold them and now I've got the Blu-ray of the current edition of it of it and I mm-hmm. think that this was the first time I've watched that movie in like you know almost 15 years or something like that um, right I mean for me I think the movie's good but I don't, it doesn't really go above like something like, it's not my type of story. Um, you're this, full of shit. I know. You're, you're so wrong. I am like. Okay, continue. Okay, this is the, okay, this is the, yeah, I know, this is like, oh my God, I'm going to die. Mm. People are, people are going to hate me or stop listening to our show. So this is I'm like going to bring down the reign of God it, it, on it, you. This is a jumping off point. Like, I don't know. Yeah. It's just like at the end of the day, I, I don't know, Kurosawa made, uh other movies that I think are better mm-hmm. than this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't even know where to begin. Kind of like, just like, so, so what, what is it, that, just, what is it so that doesn't impress you? Well, or what, what is it that mm. doesn't like, there's something there that's not like hooking you. Like, well, what is that? So I watched the, the, I watched the movie twice. Yes. I, I, so I, cause I, I, so I did the rewatch and then I watched it again with the commentary track, um, who was done by, uh, Michael Jack. From it was like, Michael Jackson. Yeah, Michael Jack's son. Okay. Um, yeah, it was a commentary. Uh, yeah, so Michael Jack recorded this commentary back in 1988. Um, mm-hmm. It's a really good commentary track. Um, but it seems like the one thing I noticed for me both times I watched it is I really kind of like zone out when they get to the village and are basically making the plans to defend the village mm-hmm. and they integrate into the into the village in that whole like hour. I just yeah. like it just goes on a long time and mm-hmm. I feel like it's just not in- that interesting for me. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's the, fair. when, when it gets now, when it starts getting to like the, I think it's like after they do that, uh, when the samurai do the raid on the bandits, like hideout, yeah. um, they, they have their own scouting mission. They yeah. go out to bandit yeah. hideout. Yeah. They kind of stir, stir the pot a little bit. Yeah, they hit them first. Um, yeah. and, until after that point, then when they actually are doing like the first kind of the bandits, then come back and start doing the raid. That's when my interest in the movie peaks more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, like there's like nothing really wrong with the movie. Like I'm not like there's just something mm-hmm. about it that I never, 
I mean, for me, it's like if I never watched Seven Samurai again, I'd probably be okay. And there's something wrong with me because obviously uh, the vast majority of people disagree with this. Um, It's it's amazing actually how popular this movie is. Um, Mm -hmm. So so yeah, uh, going back to my my good trusted friend of Letterboxd, the film has been viewed by 21,000 people, uh, which is pretty amazing for a three and a half hour 1954 black and white Japanese movie. Uh, uh-huh. It has 824 fans, which is 4% of people who've watched it consider it one of their personal all-time favorite movies. Um, yeah. And it also has like an overall rating of 4.5, which uh, uh, I think one of the administrators has a list page that has like the highest rated films on Letterboxd yeah. like that are higher than a 4.0. And when you look at the ratings, it uh, Seven Samurai is only second to Godfather. Godfather is the oh, the most yeah. popular movie on Letterboxd, mm-hmm. and Seven Samurai is the, the second most popular uh, film on Letterboxd. Right. Um, and then, of course, looking at that list, uh, five out of the top ten films on there are, are all part of the Criterion Collection. Outstanding. Yeah. So, what, what are the other ones like? A Bug's Life. Uh, yeah. Jeff Town. <laughs> Jeff Town. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot. Yeah. Little Jeff Town. I, yeah. It's like I think less than fifty people who've ever watched it or something like that. That seems fair. Yeah. Um, but so, I mean, I guess as far as like the, the samurai movie, um, mm-hmm. like you haven't, how many samurai movies have you watched? Okay. So that's the thing that I thought we would cover as well. Like if we, I didn't know if we were going to do it now or when we hit some more samurai movies in the mm-hmm. next couple weeks, whether we were going to cover our top five. And, uh, I worked pretty hard on that list, but I, I really struggled with it because, um, to be honest, I haven't really seen that many. Right. And uh, maybe that's why I find this one so striking is that I haven't seen a whole lot. And uh, if this was my first real big jump into the deep end, I think it's a pretty fair way to go. Mm. Um, so I don't know if we whenever we do talk about it, um, the answer is not many. Okay. Uh, but, <laughs> not yeah. many. I mean, there's like, I don't know, there seems to be like a phase that like, some men go through in their life where it's like a samurai phase. Um, yeah. You got like, your Western phase, yeah. your war, World War II movie phase, uh, your samurai phase, and then your uh, slumber party massacre phase where it's just babes in bikinis, your yeah. Andy Sedaris phases. Yeah. I'm kind of like in yeah. that, I'm in that latter phase for sure. Uh, I think the babes in, my in life. bikinis? Yeah. Okay. Um, so maybe that means Seven Samurai. Where are the babes in bikinis? I don't know. That's a, well, that's a serious problem. The buffoon problem. character, he wears a pretty serious thong in the last oh, about man. 30 minutes let, of the let, movie. Let's, let, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. Um, oh, I'm just saying, there, <laughs> there's some one of the most spectacular and overexposed thongs okay. uh, in film history is uh, worn in the last half of this yes. movie. So. Yeah, okay. Um, so I guess like as far as like the samurai movies that I've seen, like I've seen quite a, I mean, I've seen probably all the Kurosawa ones. Um, yeah. but like for the movies that like jump out to me, it's not so much like maybe a top five, but like, um, there's like, uh, uh, Harakiri, which is also part yeah. of the criterion, which is like, is genuinely one of the best movies I've ever seen. And like one mm-hmm. of the best movies ever made to me, that's like, that is seven samurai. What for that to me is what seven samurais for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, the Lone Wolf and Cub series. I mean, they bas- mm-hmm. it basically does for the samurai genre. Like, it's just an exploitation series. Like, super trashy, fast-paced, violent blood geysers. I love yeah. those. Um, mm-hmm. I would watch those in a heartbeat because they're yep. just they're entertaining, fun movies. Uh, mm-hmm. Rashomon. 
I mean, like some people don't even like. It's funny because like some people say that Seven Samurai was Kurosawa's first samurai movie, but Rashomon's four years earlier. So I guess by that, some some people don't think of Rashomon as strictly a samurai movie, which is mm-hmm. fair. I mean, you don't have to, but I mean, I'd say I, like I think Rashomon is like uh, also it's like that same level as like Harakiri, uh, just so absolutely amazing film. Since you mention it, that's I have seen that one, but I uh, I don't can looking back on it, I wouldn't say it's a samurai film. Um, maybe I'd have to watch it. I've only seen it the one time, but I thought that was more just a, a character study of the way people interact with each other. Like I thought the samurai element was pretty small in comparison to what the overall theme of that movie is. If yeah, that makes sense. There's like a, well, yeah. Cause that movie, I mean, yeah, when people like, you we'll, look up, we'll cover it. Yeah, absolutely. Eventually. Yeah. One day. Um, yeah, yeah. There's like the, uh, there's a genre word for like kind of what, these period piece films are and seven samurai actually falls out of it. Cause it's supposed to be the Edo period. Um, and th- so I don't know, Rashomon, like in my mind kind of fits into that. Uh, there's also sort mm-hmm. of doom, which is like, doom? Uh, summer, David uh, Lynch's s- doom, sort of doom. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, and that movie, again, like that movie, I love that movie is like truly stunning cinematography. Like it's one of the best looking movies I've ever seen. Um, yeah. and like, I'd say like all those movies, I just like, I like, and would put, would, would bring up before I'd ever bring up seven samurai. And I don't hmm. know what that reason is. Um, like, and it's funny. It's fine. Yeah. Cause I, I think like, yeah. yeah, I mean, as far as like the significance of this film within like the criterion collection, I mean, Kurosawa, uh, Japanese cinema and like samurai films, like it's a real underpinning of the criterion collection. So it's like really right. like fitting that it's like the second film in the mm-hmm. collection itself. And it's probably been paid the most attention of any film in the criterion collection, just like right. on a constant basis, obviously. I mean, it's like, it's mm-hmm. a lot of people's favorite movies. Um, but there, there's just something about the story that just does not like, I mean, if this was a book, if this book existed mm-hmm. as a novel or something like that, I would not ever go out of my way to read this book. Um, it just, yeah, it, no, I agree with that. Um, I think I agree with what you're saying. Like I, like I said, maybe one of the reasons I respond to it so well is that I have limited exposure to the genre. And so like, I don't know if that's what it is, but I I do agree with you. There are points where it does get a little low. I do think that the romance side story with the disciple is a little bit boring. Like if you cut that, you could probably cut out half an hour of it. Like that might be some, (laughs) some people's favorite part too. Like uh, me personally, I was like, eh, it don't really matter. Like it helps build the tension between the farmers and the samurai. But uh, I could have done without it. Yeah. I mean, like when I, when I was watching the movie the second time, I, I felt like there was really, I mean, there's nothing you could really like take out of it necessarily, but it's just like what's there. Just like, I'm not connecting to it. Um, so it's really, I mean, it's subjective, obviously everything's subjective, Mm -hmm. but I find with that movie in particular, it's like, um, I mean, maybe like, uh, one of my best friends, it's one of his favorite movies of all Mm -hmm. time. And like, for me, I'm just like, oh, that's fine. I mean, there's probably movies that are my favorite movies that, uh, some people would find unwatchable. It's just like, like Jeff town, like Jeff town. Um, but yeah, 
anyways, I don't know. What can I say about this movie other than it's like I think it's good. I mean, it's not a mm-hmm. bad movie at the least. Like it's a it's a very good movie. Um, like when I was listening to the commentary track with Michael Jack, um, like there was just like yeah. things that like his like how why his is a really great commentary track compared to other commentary tracks is his like descriptions of like how Kurosawa is moving cameras through scenes, like how they push yeah, in yeah. his use of te- like the use of like you know, his telephoto lenses, his uh, mm-hmm. use of deep focus. Um, and then, like, there's this shots like he'll talk about how like there's like tension created in a shot because like when a person's just sitting in a room um, mm-hmm. and talking, there's like um, the way the light of like this water is being reflected onto his forehead, and it just cre- yeah. like, and he just talks about this as tension. And I'm like, wow, I yeah, that's something I just didn't I wouldn't mm-hmm. pick up on necessarily. Um, I'm always more of like a story person, I guess, and so some yeah. of that like that that art the the artistic expression within cin- that cinematography mm-hmm. is all there and. Yeah, I mean, I totally recognize that it be, is mm-hmm. there. I mean, I guess I wish I could appreciate it more because, I mean, it just doesn't um, yeah. It doesn't win me over, I guess. Um, I, th- I think that's one of the parts I like the most, too. It's like, as you say, you're a story guy. I'm, uh, I'm pretty hard for the imagery. Like, you show me a really good-looking movie that the story's not great, I think I'll probably really enjoy it. Like, there, there are just individual shots in this movie that are awesome. Like, you have the... There's one scene where you have, like, the village elder, and he's, like, kneeling in his hut where there's the the water mill, and then the light is shining through the water mill, so it's kind of, like, flickering on his, like, body. Like, stuff like that is fucking awesome. And even, like, the intro, you have the horses, like, crossing a pale skyline. Yeah. And it's I, I don't know. That might be a black and white thing, too. Like, the... The contrast between the the color or the black and white. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like I thought, stuff like that was all really good. The um, camera work was pretty cool. His editing techniques were really sweet. Like uh, I, I really like this thing he did, where like there would be really intense moments, like when you first see a couple of the samurai fight, and then they strike their blow, and then it kind of like slows down. It's like a slow mo. And the mm. body just kind of slowly falls down. Oh, it's awesome. yeah, that that scene. Yeah. Yes, yeah. When uh, that's like that uh, the the hostage negotiation. The scene. hostage. There's that one, <laughs> and then there's there's uh, there's two more later where basically like a bandit or some some badass dude gets hit, and then he just kind of like slowly falls to the ground, and then the du- like the dirt flies up. I don't know. I love. I eat that shit up, man. It's good stuff. <laughs> it's good shit. It's good stuff. It's, mm. it's just good stuff, man. Yeah. I love it. Um, one of the things that like, I've always remembered about seven samurai ever since like the one time I'd seen it years ago was, uh, like this idea of rice gruel and millet. Oh, millet. Yeah. And I was always like, in my mind, I'm like, what's that? Like, and like, Mm -hmm. it always like pops up only really like in, uh, like these, uh, samurai movies and I'm like where they're eating millet yeah and i'm always like what is that like oh and of course like as soon as it gets brought up in the show again i'm like oh yeah it's like right off the bat too (laughs) oh yeah it's a it's a major component at the start fun fact jared there is uh, a small town in alberta called millet so yeah maybe you and me should road trip up there and see if they uh got the goods or if uh their town is full of shit and they don't actually have any of this millet yeah well apparently like Millet's kind of, uh, I think on the commentary track that Jack does, he like mentions how, uh, like there's nothing wrong with millet, but it's kind yeah. of like a thing where it's like, if you only like fed people like lobster all the time, they'd be really sick of lobster as well. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter yeah. of like you get sick of eating the same thing over and over and over again. Cause that's all you have available to you. Yeah. 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 Um, I get it, man. How, 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 uh, how are you with the bald caps? 
Uh, it's funny you mention it because uh, there are times where I'm looking at that and I'm like, I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with these dudes' heads? Like, why do they look so <laughs> tall, weird? Tall heads. <laughs> yeah, tall heads, and it's like, it's like, are they? Because I thought that I was like, are they wearing caps? And then I was like, no, I, why? Why wouldn't they just shave their heads? Because. I was like, there's so many other things that well, the reason seems like they well, just do it. The reason they don't shave their heads because like, oh yeah, these guys have to like go get work still. But like, fuck with this movie too. It's like it had like a ridiculous shooting schedule. Like it took a year to like make the movie, which is like not surprising. But like, yeah, I mean like the idea of like having to shave your head into like that like top knot thing. It's like yep. that, that's asking a lot of an actor. <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah, of, like that's, the, that's some serious the, commitment. The cul-de-sac just in between all your other hair and yeah. then the top knot. Like I was thinking about doing it for this show, but I felt like um, it wouldn't get expressed to the audience I don't think as it would well. Translate well, no. Yeah, I still might do it. I mean, if we, when we cover more samurai films, I might really get into it. Or I don't. Maybe during um, maybe during something else. But yeah, no, I I did notice that. I didn't really know what to think of it, so I'm glad you brought it up. Um, yeah, no, it's like, I was gonna say like the, the, the bald cap thing, the, the top knot thing in this movie, actually, it looks really good compared to later versions I've seen in other movies. Yeah. Um, like you, you those seven, Sam- or seven Samurai and the, uh, Lone Wolf and Cub movies, th- those have <laughs> some like pretty, like hilariously bad bald caps. Like you can see the, like the seams cause it's also, uh. those movies are in color. So it's like mm-hmm. far more for- like unforgiving the, the difference between yeah. makeup color and flesh color. But I mean, I can I, get past that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's just one of those things that's like, ah, good old bald caps. Um, yeah. and, well, I mean, and go along with that, uh, Japanese underwear. Um, uh, so you're talking about that sweet thong. Uh, you should call it the uh, Japanese style ginch. The ginch. Yeah. 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 It was that those things are all up in your craw all yeah. the time. Oh, but yeah. as I said, for probably like not even exaggerating the last 35 to 40 minutes, the, uh, the buffoon character, um, he is, He's basically wearing a shirt, like an armored shirt, yeah, and then just that thong underpants. Because you see him running around, and like his bare ass is out all the time. And like, I love stuff like that. I think it's funny. But watching this movie, I was like, you know what? It works. Like, it works for the character <laughs> because his character is like that guy. He's like, yeah, I would fight with no pants on, scare the shit out of those guys because they'd be like, if you and me were to fight, Jared, and I came up to you and I was wearing like a really buff muscle shirt. But then, like, just naked underneath. Yeah. Would that work as intimidation, or like, how would you react to that? I, I'm, I'm, I'm stumped. As you're stunned. I, as, you're as, stunned <laughs> just thinking about it. You're, you're, you're verbally stunned. Yeah. So I think it, like, it fits. It works. It was a good. It was a good strategy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I dig it. Yeah. Uh, well, Underpants. The, the one thing I, uh, I'll just mention too is like watching. Uh, a lot of like Japanese movies, the, this idea of like cruelty in like characters always like amazes me, especially like, it seems like there's like the scene where, um, when the peasants are kind of waiting to like, they're sitting around in that town, uh, yeah. waiting to assemble their group. And there's like the other guys that are like also mm-hmm. like staying at that inn, and they're just assholes, just like heckling yeah. pieces of shit. And it's like, yeah. man, it's like, what a horrible world this is. Mm-hmm. Like I, and it's like, and that's like a thorough line. And like a lot of these like uh, Japanese criterion movies that are like period pieces. It's just always yeah. just like, Oh, just cruel, cruel people. And yeah, I, I love that. 
Yeah. They're they're like you said, there's that scene where they're in the fir- one of the first ones were in that little hut and there's like the drunk assholes. Yeah. And then there's like a fat, like slob samurai in there, and yeah. they're like, wanna fight? And then he's like, No. And then he like tells the old guy playing the the single chord on the guitar. He's like he's like, Shut up, old man. And then the drunk guy's like he's like, Hey grandpa, keep going, man. We're on your side. And then he looks at the fat guy and he's like, eh. I thought that was really funny. So, yeah. but no, yeah, I, I know what you mean. They show that again, like when they catch uh, one of the scouts, like of the bandits. Yeah, they catch that scout, and then the entire town is just like prodding him with like sticks, and then <laughs> like it shows it's like the, it's like oh look, the tables have turned, and these farmers are fucking cruel. And it's like, but they need to be because you made them like this. Yeah. but I love it because like. They're all crowded around this guy, and then the oldest woman alive, yeah. just the oldest woman of all time, comes <laughs> up with like a fucking pitchfork, and she's like so slow, and like mm-hmm. they're just like, all right, and it's like she she deserves it, man, and like that lady just stabs that stabs the shit out of that guy until he dies, so yep. that's yep. pretty awesome. That's how it that goes that. down. Well, there's yep. like that one bit too, kind of like when um they're they're that middle the middle portion of the movie where they're like doing the plans and like setting things up and training people there's like mm-hmm. the thing where um yeah uh Shirmifune's character he like pops up with the samurai equipment like and it's like oh yeah. yeah here's some armor and then they're like well where did they get this stuff from and they're like they deduce that well they would have probably just been like picking this off of samurai's bodies or like if guys came through injured from wars they'd just be killing them and i'm like yeah. well that's a movie in itself right there yeah. and it's like yeah but, it makes sense yeah and i mean so actually this uh, thought comes back to me too where like we were talking about with Grand Illusion last week how that movie like doesn't really have like that lived in sense of like dreariness mm-hmm. that you would think a POW camp would have um, yeah it's that, too clean Seven Samurai does not have that problem yeah <laughs> yeah that's that's yeah. one of the reasons I like this one and that's like I said last week that's one of the one of the reasons I, I didn't think Grand Illusion really got it like because I don't know Mark of its time or whatever it was too romantic like it was they just had it too good and it's like there's no way that's how it would be like it's if you're a prisoner of war or you're a guy who gets shit on all the time like that sucks man and so like like that's what you would expect to see not like dudes hanging out like drinking wine and smoking american fancy cigarettes and just living the good life because why like that's the the one big thing i didn't even mention grand illusions like why would they want to escape at all like they have it pretty good. Well, there's so like, th- there is something to that. So the, there's this idea that like it's actually brought up in great, the Great Escape, where uh, if, if you're an, a soldier that's in a POW camp, you, your duty doesn't end just because you've been arrested. You yeah. actually should be actively doing everything you can to like make life difficult for the mm-hmm. like. The government, like the military that has you imprisoned, so you're supposed to like yeah. push their resources. You should be trying to escape just to make them work harder. It's basically you trying to like re- yeah. use their resources so they're not using it on the front. So yeah. there, well, there, there, there's that. Grand illusion doesn't convey that, that though. Not at all. You're right. Yeah. You're so that that's the problem. Yeah. Like they they go for that, but it doesn't. They they never show that like desperation or like mm-hmm. the trials of them like why you would want to do that yeah. so it seems more but like it, out of uh it's more it's kind of slightly inconvenient to be in jail and it'd be just like a little bit better to not be in jail so they're like oh yeah let's, let's get out of here <laughs> yeah exactly yeah so anyways anyways so that that's that was just like a throwback to because like there is like definitely i mean the tone and look of yeah. like seven summer like i said like it's a movie i wish i could love but for <laughs> some reason there's just something about the movie for me that just doesn't 
connect to me personally. But I mean, like, I, it's obviously like nothing I say is going to change anyone's mind. People can say I'm an idiot and uh, maybe I am, but it's just like, I think it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's more that your heart died a long time ago. So you just, <laughs> we don't talk no, about I, that, man. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's good. I mean, this is more interesting than if you thought it was awesome too, because we would just be like, how awesome is this movie? So <laughs> yeah, sure, no, sure, right, no, I think it's, sweet. <laughs> I think uh, everything you said is fair. Um, well, like I mean, said, maybe maybe when I see some more of these samurai joints, uh, this one will lose its uh, lose its appeal to me. But I don't think it will. To, I don't, today, I'll, as I watched yeah. it, I was like, you know what? This movie's got it all. And three and a half hours, it is a lengthy endeavor. I'm not going to watch it every year, maybe once in like 10 years. But I think it's pretty good. I like it. I dig it. You dig it. Sweet. I dig it. Sweet. Yeah. Um, so I guess like as far as, I mean, oh, yeah. One other scene. Oh, the other th- the one thing that I think is like probably probably my favorite part of the movie is mm-hmm. the the whole uh they really have a sense of the scale like a realistic scale of what they have to accomplish and they, yeah. they lay that they lay that out with the scroll of the circles mm-hmm. indicating each member of the band and they have to yeah. cross them out one by one, one, and, by I, one. and i love that every time like there's a kill that happens on screen it matters it actually mm-hmm really matters um and so like each time it, someone dies it matters yeah. because and it really builds up the sense of like okay there's like then you have your seven samurai and it's like yeah when, when yeah, one yeah. of them dies or even like even when like when a peasant dies like kind of when the uh horsemen break through uh mm-hmm. in that uh third volley um they yeah. actually make it through and you're like oh shit they're actually killing peasants like damn it like that's like yeah. the, that's that turn well, i mean like that yeah because like, you yeah so yeah because you see like two of the farmers that like went to recruit the samurai die and you're just like holy shit there's real stakes here yeah well yeah. Can, can you imagine like watching a like modern action movie where like a, a death actually counts when like they actually get a guy or it just seems like there's like the endless stream of dudes coming out of nowhere like i think mm-hmm. of, like uh one of the probably most popular movies that's like an example that would be like the avengers where it's just like wave oh, yeah. after like phalanxes of just like cgi robot stuff just coming out yeah. of nowhere and it's like it doesn't matter how many things like hulk crush smashes mm-hmm. or uh captain america deflects the shield it doesn't matter like because it's like it's not going to resolve until the like quick time moment yeah. in the video game is triggered and then mm-hmm. this happens and that's all you're waiting for Ooh. is the spectacle yeah. whereas like seven samurai like that movie's like it's not about spectacle mm-hmm. um it, it, it came from an era where that wasn't uh a thing yet i guess well, or it I, kind of but not to that yeah. level not, well, not yeah it wasn't a goal I think of that's... the movie yeah, I agree with you completely. That's one of the reasons I like it so much is because, right. like you said, there's real danger. There's real desperation here. Like before they even have the raid on the town, they lose one of their samurai. And it's like the whole like the entire fucking two hours before that happens. Yeah. They're like stressing. It's like we got seven ba- or basically five because two of them like aren't even very good. And it's like everyone we have counts. So there's like a real there's real risk there. And like what you said, like with Avengers movie, that's like, uh, when I saw that civil war movie and I thought it was garbage because like they're 15, 20 movies in the Marvel universe right now. And they don't even have the balls to kill off a B list character. Like, uh, like they, they injure him, but it's like, they don't even kill off like a character who doesn't matter at all. Um, that far in where in, in seven samurai, it's like, we haven't even got to the fight yet. And we lost a dude. And then when they actually do fight, yeah. they lose a whole bunch more. Like yeah. the half of the samurais get it. Um, a lot of the villagers die. Like you, there's a part, there's a really good part where um, 
the bandits are raiding and uh, they bust into uh, where all the women and children are staying. Yes. And you see like you see a bunch of ladies get like pegged off with arrows and you're just like, holy shit. Like, could you imagine if there was a scene in uh, Avengers where you see like three old ladies just get fucking blown away? Like, (laughs) well, remember like all those like casualties you see in X-Men Apocalypse? Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Remember when that happens? Not at all. Like there's just like, oh, like Cairo's gone. Cairo's gone. Cairo's now gone gone. in that universe. But like, you didn't see a single like person die. Like not one. It's just gone. And well, actually that is a movie where you did see a lady and a baby get arrowed. So there was, they did have the balls to do it once. But uh, when there's a city of potentially millions of people that completely just get blown up. Yeah. It's like, yeah. It's like you you'll figure it out. Yeah. It's like yeah, you got it. So. Yeah, no, it's only like oh, it's, just, it's such a list of like all the things that would go wrong with this movie now. Like just like how oh, how bad yeah. it would be. <laughs> well, but let's see when they do this Magnificent 7 remake. Do you do you think Chris Pratt's going to get taken out before the f- main fight? Oh my god. Or what man. about Denzel? Do you think he's going to make it through? Oh, of course. I think they kind of have to. Like just, maybe, just the, him and Chris unless, Pratt. Unless, unless they pull like a, you know, that movie Executive Decision, where uh, like Steven Seagal and like Kurt yeah, Russell, yeah. Or, and it'd be like Steven yeah. Seagal just dies like right off the bat, and there's like a real surprise. Or uh, it, remember when Brian? Awesome, remember though. when like Brian Cranston just like dies in uh, that Godzilla movie? He just yeah he, they 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 did it fucking yeah. half an hour so, in they're I mean, like hey, remember when you thought you were gonna see Brian Cranston yeah. fight Godzilla? It's like whoops. I think what they're, I think it's a, probably an unpopular move to go that route. Usually, yeah. I mean, if you're going to pay but, these guys to do it, you might as well make sure that you're getting as much bank and not for something that people can complain about after the fact. It leaves a lasting impression, though. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like what, well, would, look, look at the executive wait, decision legacy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's being brought that, up on a 2016 podcast about Seven Samurai. That is, yeah, but that I mean, is a first, I believe. It sounds like that's getting a better review than uh, some of the other movies we're talking. About. That Civil War movie that came out this year, I'd probably watch Executive Decision over that thing. Yeah, I mean, yep, yeah, uh, 100% agree. <laughs> 100%, 100%, man. Um, I'd watch any of that stuff. So uh, did you go through any of the special features on 7 uh, Sam? Uh, I didn't have time, unfortunately. Um, we had the podcast scheduled, and I was a little busy. Uh, and so I ended up watching the movie exactly before we finished so as soon as the movie was done i turned around and you were already uh calling me so i didn't have time you were waiting but i yeah. i knew i could trust that you would get through some of that stuff I, so yeah so i i skimmed i skimmed through a few things i like as i've yeah. mentioned before i listened to the jack uh, commentary which is very good there's another commentary track with a with a round table uh with some critics and oh, i i just i there's no way i'm going to get through that at all don't punish yourself no it's just too much i'm not yep. sure how much more information i could really take in about this movie at this point right. um and because yes that's seven hours of seven samurai in a week um uh, which is good enough huh? for me for a while yeah. a long time if ever again um yeah if so, ever again so i watched there's a there's a documentary or a segment of a documentary called uh, akira kurosawa it is a one it is wonderful to create um Oof. it is just like a little like uh little spot about the making of seven samurai um Mm -hmm. my biggest takeaway from it was it reminded me a lot there's this uh japanese tv show called game center cx um where like this guy plays uh old video games and he has to finish the games in single sittings to finish them completely um 
and they sometimes do these like gag show like segments like just like side little things that they do mm-hmm. that's kind of like to amuse themselves because obviously I mean they probably could get away with just like filming him just play video games and edit it together and it would be fine but I think popular they, they, YouTube channel yeah but they yeah. pace they pace out the shows like because they're like uh, like 45 minutes or 50 minutes each with like this stuff that they come up with and like one of the things that they did on the show that like I just like thought they were just making fun of like bad documentary filmmaking but they actually probably like based on this like segment it kind of was exactly the same thing they're like overwrought and like I guess like in air quotes respectful documentaries um, right. where it's like just like voiceover narration with some flute music over like film stills and like locations and like just talking about I don't know the genius of Kurosawa there's this one Mm -hmm. bit that uh, they have this like kind of like overweight Japanese guy sitting in this room which is I guess like one of the rooms that like Kurosawa with his two uh, two, uh, co-writers would have come up with the film win yeah, and he's just like kind of like this is the room that th- that it happened. Imagine being in that room at the time as they wrote Seven Samurai, and it's like him sure. like sit- him sitting sure. cross legged, kind of like his eyes are upturned and he's looking around, like looking for answers yeah. in the walls of this room. I'm like, come on. Where when the camera like zooms into uh, his like in like deeply focused face, and you can tell in his mind he's like, yeah. yeah. They did it. They did it in here, man. It's in yeah. the walls. Yeah, it's, it's just like you can breathe it in, buddy. <laughs> yeah, and it's like yeah, sure. He, who, so yeah. what? It's a who room. Cares? It's a room. Um, yeah. yeah. It's like here's the toilet Kurosawa took a huge shit in. It's like, oh, wow. <laughs> sign me up. Yeah. When can I go? Um, I now yeah, I started watching. There was like a kind of Criterion in-house made documentary um, on like oh. samurais, Ooh. and I watched that like half of it and I was kind of like doesn't yeah sound like it was very good I've I've read a lot of like I mean I've read like the wolf and cub manga I've read yep. uh like blade of the immortal I I I, I, I know my sams um yep. so I was that like that might be more fitting for someone like me yeah there you go for yep. yeah for the ignorant yeah yeah, for, yeah. the ignorant <laughs> Yeah, yeah, uh, that's me. That's me. So yeah. okay, um, I guess like as a companion piece, and to kind of follow through with like what uh, we when we talked about Great Escape on Grand Illusion, uh, yeah. I also made a point of rewatching for the first time in years and years and years Magnificent Seven. Um, so this mm-hmm. is another John Sturgis semi remake of a Criterion movie, um, and this one's like from nineteen sixty, and uh, so yep. it's a, little, a couple years earlier than Great Escape, um, and it's like. The first time I watched it, I really don't know if I saw that before I saw Seven Samurai. Um, right. And, but I really don't remember it being like so beat for beat. Mm-hmm. Like it really is like, wow, this really, because I mean, I'll be in the credits. It says explicitly that it's a remake of mm-hmm. Seven Samurai or inspired by. But yeah. I mean, they kind of fuse characters where need be. Like the yeah yeah because yeah. like they could basically take the uh, Mafune character and like the romantic lead guy and they turn him mm-hmm. into one character, um, right. but they lose so much because I mean mm-hmm. like if he's like one of the best characters in the goddamn movie like he's like yep. he's in so much stuff and oh we're just gonna turn him into that too just to double down and it's like well who did they replace mm-hmm. him with it doesn't matter because that person's just dead anyway yeah. Um, but they that's that's what i thought completely too it's like mm-hmm. it's like you just caught one of the best parts of the movie yeah so and I, I actually saw that one of the reasons they like they like advertised it so much as like a remake was i think kurosawa said he was like oh it's just, he's like i don't really like it that much and like there was like a little bit of a a tiff between the people so they're like oh we should pay homage to uh the movie that we like yeah. 
we basically copied. Yeah. Oh, and so, so this is like this is like reading what I wrote here, but then like I just thought of something off the top of my head. Like the, the movie's like so Magnificent Seven's like a real burial of poor people. Yeah. Because like they basically like kind of like just throw in with uh, Tuco, <laughs> um, and like yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah. And, and so like so it sets up this like needless final act setup where like oh well they get, oh, uh, the yeah. Magnificent Seven get kicked out of town and they're allowed to leave without their in like. Mm-hmm go on their own merry ways because like the peasants basically just like gave up whereas like fuck in seven samurai it's like this like it's like the opposite it's like how it's super (laughs) empower it's super empowering because it's like all these poor farmers that you see get shit on for like two and a half hours and then when the actual battle comes you see them spearing the fuck out of people and you're like yeah Yeah. you did it yeah they get but yeah you're right in magnificent seven it's just like at any opportunity the bad like the bad guy who's already like like the the seven cowboys have already decimated like half of his clan yeah and then he goes to like the village leader he's like hey man we we just won't like we won't pillage you so bad next time okay just tell the cowboys to leave he's like sure (laughs) sure whatever yeah yeah no it's like that movie's kind of bullshit (laughs) yeah it is uh that's kind of what i thought too i remember when i watched it um it had been a i i remember vaguely watching that when I was young at my grandparents' house, uh, as with many westerns. Mm-hmm. So the first time, so that I watched the for the first time this year, which was probably at least twenty plus years since I had actually first seen it. So it was basically a, a first watching, and uh, I thought that too. I was like, I remember this being like better. Um, I don't know. <sighs> it, it did hey. have Charles Bronson in it though. Oh so yeah, it has Charles Bronson in it. That that'll make any movie better. But yeah, other than that, I was just like, mm-hmm. uh. I was like, I kind of wish this was as good as I had remembered it being. Yeah, as a, it, as a little kid. Yeah, it's another like example of like it's like dad cinema. It's one of those yeah, movies yeah, yeah. that like I think a generation of people will just have real fond memories of it. And I don't know, like John Sturgis, just I don't think he's, he's not much of a director. Yeah, <laughs> like I don't know what it is about him. Um, because I remember like he's like he made a bad day at. Black Rock, which it's been years since I'd seen that movie, but that movie I remember being pretty good. But everything else from him, he's, he's like kind of like he's okay. He knows yeah. like he he, right. he he likes his wide shots. He really mm-hmm. likes to take advantage of wide compositions and stuff like that. But man, Steve McQueen strikes again, and he's mm-hmm. awful. I yeah, Steve yeah. McQueen is not a, a good lead. No, he's just for, like for that. yeah, he's just like he could be anybody at, at all in these like movies. Like James Corbin is in that movie for like a little bit, and he's way better than Steve McQueen. Even uh, he, he's so much cooler. He's like picking his teeth with a knife, and you're yeah. like, all right. Well, yeah, because he yeah he gets to be the uh, the he's the snake stoic. Guy. He's he's yeah. snake eyes. Snake um, eyes. Yeah, and then mm-hmm. yeah, uh, poor Bronson. And you know, okay, he's you know, the so, good old you know, Bronson's the good you know, old boy. You know what's also Okay, Magnificent Seven. Here's another thing too. So in the like big final battle, you don't even see the guys who kill like James Coburn or Charles Bronson. They get no, just, they, they yeah. get shot like their their assailants get shot or or shoot at them like off camera, and then they just go oh and they fall over. And it's like that's like I, not that's not not at all how you stage action. Like there should be some tension in it. Like I guess there's like a randomness. Like you probably wouldn't see who's going to shoot you in a gunfight, but you know what? That's because that's reality. And Magnificent Seven is a movie and you can like control those things and yeah, it's have, super anticlimactic yeah there's just like but, oh we have to make sure only three of these guys are left or if only mm-hmm. like because that's what the other movie did and so you just get dead. so here's the thing too like since i just like i just finished watching it 
they do something similar with uh, the Dead Samurais and Seven Samurai. Like, they get killed by guns, by uh, off-screen, kind of off-screen. Yeah. Like, one of them is off-screen. But it's way more effective in Seven Samurai because the entire movie, it's just dudes with swords, right? And then they make a point where it's like, oh, the bandits have, like, three muskets. Yes. Like, we got to get those fuckers. Yeah. So, like, there's a, like it's a common thread. And uh, before, like, the last 20 minutes... They have two of them, and then uh, one of like the badass samurai. He gets hit by a musket off screen, and then you see like the disciple character. He's just like screaming because it's like, yeah, that really sucks that this guy who is probably the best warrior out of all of them just gets shot. Yeah. But like, it means something in Seven Samurai. Oh yeah, well, like, because well, because there's the contrast between the guns, like the gunplay and the swords and stuff like that. Absolutely, bro. Yeah, no. I mean, I, I don't know where I, I thought I had a note about that, but yeah, no, for sure. Like, swords swords are way more interesting than guns battles, mm-hmm. at least like in that in that type of story, because there's like you have to actually get characters up close and personal to actually have an interaction. And it's a mark of a real man. Yeah, exactly. There, there's like, like it, a, it, te- it tests them, and like it, it shows like who's better, basically. Basically. Yeah, and then like, and of course, then in the back, the backdrop of that battle is that there's yeah, they have what they have ranged weapons, and yeah. the, and those can come in at any time, and you can just get picked off like arbitrarily, and there's like there is that danger in that, mm-hmm. and there's so there's always an undercurrent of detention. Whereas in Magnificent Seven, I mean, because everybody has guns. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. It's just it's that that so that tension's out the window, and they never bother to like recreate it because obviously, yeah. um, you know, in a couple weeks here we'll be watching John Woo movies, and oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it means like so I can't say that like swords are necessarily better than guns. It's just about who does a better job of like figuring out how to best take advantage of yeah. like what you're doing. And well, I, it's one, establishing like a, a means to tell a story with like that as an element, right? Like. Right. Is it's easy or yeah? It's like you said. Who's better at doing it? Who's a better storyteller? Yeah. How do you work it in better? So basically, wow. Uh, I guess there's a one in the plus column for old Kurosawa. <laughs> yeah, there's one there, and it's like I was saying earlier. Like I, I feel like this movie was super influential to well, yeah, like of course. T- so many movies because of like the plot, the character archetypes, and then so even as we we're talking about Magnificent Seven, like. A lot of movies like take elements from Seven Samurai, but there are movies that abs- like things that actually just do a complete copy. Magnificent Seven, uh, A Bug's Life, like I said, A Bug's Life is Magnificent Seven, and that movie is pretty fucking rad. I'd watch that over. Or, a Bug's Life is Seven Samurai, but I'd watch that over Magnificent Seven any day of the week. Yeah. And uh, actually, so I just started. Um, I do audiobooks at work and at the gym, and uh, I just started uh, Stephen King's Dark Tower Five, The yep. Wolves of Kala. And the first, it's, I think it's 25 hours, but the first hour and a half in, it is seven samurai. Exactly. There's wolves coming and they're going to steal the village children. So they got to go out there and get gunslingers. So even Stephen King did it in his fabled Dark Tower series. Like this movie has been <laughs> copied so many times. It it's sounds, unbelievable. It sounds like you just said even, even Stephen. <laughs> yeah. Even Stephen, even Steve, uh, you know, that old chestnut. So yeah. Yeah. Like, and I, I was thinking today too, I was thinking of other movies that might fit in there, but. Oh yeah. There's like, it's, there's so many. There's so like, many. Yeah. It's, but it's, those are. Off the top of my head, those are the the big three: yeah. Magnificent Seven, A Bug's Life, and then number number five of the Dark Tower series, soon to be a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, and the uh, like that. I think the one bit too. I think like uh, uh, I think 
think, yeah, Roger Ebert. Uh, he mentioned like, yeah, like basically the scene with Hambay when he like basically does that, like the, the hostage negotiation scene where they do the setup. I mean, like, that thing is like, oh, fuck yeah. who knows how many times that's been emulated. And if that was, like, if, if Seven Samurai was the first time that trick was ever used, but like, mm-hmm. just like, yeah, the guy who plays him, Takashi Shimura, like I've seen that guy in so many fucking things like in the last year or so. Cause I watched like the Godzilla movies cause he's oh, yeah, in, yeah. he's in those and he's in like, like whatever, 15 or 16 Kurosawa movies. Uh, yeah, he he's great. He's got such a look to him because he's a Kiru. He's in Ujimbo. He's in Rashomon. Uh, yeah, he's grand. But yeah, so that whole scene. That dude rules. Where, like he, yeah, that that moment of him, like he's a different kind of samurai. <laughs> uh, yeah, plays I, by I his know own samurai mean. rules. It's, it's But I mean, if I had there. saw that, like when this first came out, or if I had saw that one first instead of an onslaught of copycats, like, do you, you know what I mean? Like, it, it would leave a more lasting impression, I think. Yeah. But yeah, I, I still, I bought it. And I was like, yeah, this dude is badass. Motherfucker yeah. shaved his head mm-hmm. for no re- or just to play the monk, man. And then he because, did it. And because of the film's ridiculous uh, shooting uh, schedule, you get to see his hair grow back. Yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> well, you, I feel like, so when they're in the town, it's only a couple days. But when they like go and train the farmers, it feels like, at the very least, it was like two weeks. Right. So it you can kind of like play it off. It's like, yeah, I guess hair could grow in two weeks. Oh, it, like it, stubble well, it, at least. It, of course it does. Yeah, no, it's yeah. it's all done very naturalistically, not in a way that stands yeah. out. But you become aware of it. I think just because I was reading that Kenneth Turan uh, essay. Yeah. It's uh, not it, the case. No. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to mention, uh, uh, maybe uh, to wrap things up, uh, I read a couple of, because uh, I was curious, because, like, you know, it's like, I, I'm like, who hates Seven Samurai? Like, who hates this movie? Because it's like, yeah. th- those people mm-hmm. have got to have a story to tell, or are they like Armand mm-hmm. White types that are just like trolling uh, the internet? Um, well, yeah. here, here's a couple uh, ones that I will uh, like to read. Um, this is a yeah. one in one half star review from uh, awesome. uh, uh, an author named Doomsday. Seven, oh. Seven Samurai is an interesting film. Interesting in the sense that it might be the most racist backwards film I've ever seen. What? Yep. I, uh, that's dumb. Yeah. Okay. And uh, then there's this one from uh, a fellow named Paul Saldner. He gave it one and a half stars. Uh, his mm-hmm. favorite movies are The Matrix and uh, all three parts of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Well, he's got one right in there. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I guess so. Uh, yeah. This is his review. This is another one of those films praised to be to the high heavens by the monocle wearers as some sort of cinematic masterpiece that all other films should look up to. Not surprisingly, it's actually shit. Oh, God. That <laughs> right. guy's... I could uh, go on. Like, he he wrote a lot. Like, he... Uh, this, no, don't no, don't give this guy you any don't, more you credit. Don't, you don't want to bring him on the show? No, I, this guy's full of shit. <laughs> okay. Man, like, so he, he calls... I gotta, so I, I, I genuinely love this movie, and he's calling actually, me a monocle. He's saying, yeah, Sorry. yeah, yeah. You're just like uh, Ralphenstein last week. <laughs> Ralphenstein. Yeah, he's calling me a monocle-wearing motherfucker. Yeah. But I'm also the dude who was talking about how one of my favorite pieces of cinema in the last five years is Ben Affleck working out. So... Mm he's wrong is what I'm saying. I am the contrary opinion to him. No, you know what? I want to go deep on this. If it sucks, we'll just edit it out. Okay. Right from the beginning, it looks really cheap. 
noticeable are the ridiculously obvious bald wigs everyone is wearing. Some of the worst prosthetics I've ever seen on film. This movie was made in 1954, but it looks like it was made in 1924. The film quality is really subpar for the mid-50s. There is tons of sped-up scenes, even just simple ones, and about a third of the movie is just silent. Not dialogue, no music, no sound effects. It's unbearably obvious that the dialogue is recorded later, as many, many times it's not in sync. And other times, people people speak to each other with no sound. The acting is truly god-awful. There may be one or two roles that are well done, but 90% of the film is done in stupidly cartoonish overacting. Everyone screams and shrieks and jumps around like children on speed. It's horrible. The action is next to non-existent. And when it is there, it's cartoonish, half-baked, and anticlimactic. And running around fighting in the rain with no pants on to self... The story story is so cliche-ridden that it's a joke. The samurai are insanely stupid, constantly alerting the bandits to their presence during sneak attacks. The love plot is one of the worst love plots ever written. Four out of the seven die, and you feel absolutely nothing. The film is three and a half hours long. It's like Kurosawa heard about Hollywood's long epics and wanted to do the same, except he forgot to make it epic. It's just boring all of it this is one of the most overrated movies ever made the less people who feel forced to watch it the more chance of it getting lost to history there is which really needs to happen i can't even give it two stars Jeez. this guy's a piece of shit that's the dumbest fucking thing i've ever seen or ever even heard uh <laughs> he's wrong completely on all fronts uh i think you know why i've just spent the last hour discussing all everything he basically said I talked about in the last hour about why it is good. Mm-hmm. So I guess, you know what? Why don't you go and you you be the judge of that? But this guy's talking about cliches. And uh, I guess uh, it, we, it can't all be Return of the King, hey? Guess, One of his favorite movies. Yeah. Nothing, yeah. What, what With the, <laughs> the uh, two-hour CG dump uh, in the middle there. Oh, God. Yeah. Well, that guy sucks. Yeah. Um, Paul, Paul Soldner, you're uh, welcome to join the show any day to discuss your thoughts and review of Seven Samurai. Um, mm-hmm. And hopefully that dark day never happens. Um, mm-hmm. Anyways, I think that sums up our discussion on Seven Samurai, unless you have any closing remarks. Uh, no, uh, I just think that guy sucks. And uh, this movie rules with a Z. So that's it. There you have it. Put that on a T-shirt. Mm-hmm. Well, after the break, we'll hear from us again, I guess. Or I don't know. Might we'll just, just, uh, maybe. We'll just if keep, I'm still here, I might get bored. We'll just keep talking and yeah. talking some more. Honda, keep me sonic, so cheap and we're falling, Hong Kong dollar. 
success i don't know i i'm really dreading the days of hearing back from people about how i'm an idiot for not uh loving seven samurai but those are the sort of chances uh we're going to continue taking on uh the criterion creeps podcast mm-hmm. those are the risks you got to take like these farmers they took a big risk hiring those samurais so you can't be afraid to put yourself out there man um don't worry about the feedback i'm pretty sure most of it will be how the co-host needs to get replaced because all he talks about is hot abs so yeah yeah but that's just me i'm not going to change for them we just have to soldier on soldier on man all right well next time uh we're going to be discussing a uh fat british man's uh 1938 film that's also black and white because we're all about that just like criterion is Mm-hmm. Um, that little film by Alfred Hitchcock is The Lady Vanishes. Later to be re- remade by uh, M. Night Shyamalan as The Lady in the Water. Few people know that, but it's true. Yeah. We'll discuss it. Yeah, we got the scoops yeah. here on the cast. Well, mm-hmm. goodbye, RJ. Goodbye, Jarrett. I'll see you in hell. Bye. Peace.